0: You're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, lead pastor Matt Dean teaches through Colossians 2 in our sermon series titled, First, the Supremacy of Jesus. We are in week two of a series called First, the Supremacy of Jesus, and we are walking through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, last week we talked about what does it look like for Jesus to have the first place in your life, for Jesus to be first and best in your life. And what we said is it's not enough just to know that he should be first in our life, but we also said what happens when he is first in our lives. And when we do place Jesus where he rightfully belongs, then he is the one that we proclaim. He is the one that we proclaim saves us. We acknowledge with our lips and with our lives that we are the redeemed People of God, we are more loving, we are more gracious, we are more hospitable, we are more generous. And when we place Christ first in our lives above all other endeavors, we are at our best because we were designed to be in relationship with God forever. And the gap between what we know we should do and what we are actually doing often comes because we forget what good things happen when we walk in fellowship with God. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been reading through Colossians, go back through this week and read Colossians, specifically chapter 1. You will see that the entirety of the message is that Jesus is to be first and supreme in all things. Yesterday morning, I was brushing my teeth, which I know you really care about. And uh, April was yelling, Matt, 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 come here, come here. I'm thinking a child has been hurt. Or someone fell down the stairs. No, Matt, Matt, come here. Quickly, quickly, come here. Come here. And I run out of our bedroom. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? She goes, they're here. I'm like, who's here? She goes, no, they're, they're walking. I'm like, who's walking? No, the, the people from China that are in our neighborhood, they're walking around. Go and check the mail. It was like 9.30 in the morning. Our mail doesn't arrive until like 4.30. I'm like, the mail's not there. She goes, no, no, no. Go out and act like you're checking the mail so that you can talk to them. And I I was a little overwhelmed and caught off guard and I resisted. I didn't step into that moment that she so wanted for me. She goes, we've moved our family around the world twice that you would share the gospel with people from China and you won't go check the mail? And I said, I tell you what, if they come back around, lap two, I'll go out. Twelve minutes later, I don't know what I was doing, but it was like, Matt, 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 they're here, they're here, they're here, go, go, go. Except this time, I had an audience, and the entire family was downstairs, and they were about to watch Dad walk out awkwardly to the mailbox at 9.42 a.m. to check the mail when there was no mail in the mailbox. And so, I'm like, well, okay. Matt, 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 go, 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 please, please, Daddy, Daddy, do it, do it. Please, please do it. So, Uh, for those of you that don't know um april and i with our family we we did live in asia for six years we lived in mainland china for three years and uh about a year and a half ago we moved back to auburn so china is a huge part of our life um chinese people are dear to us and the burden that we have for those people specifically to know jesus is it it just has been in our lives for 20 years and so i knew i needed to go to the mailbox and I just needed to step into that moment that was perfectly set up for me. So I, I go out to the mailbox, and in case you ever see Asian gentlemen walking like this, that's the China walk, okay? It's, the, the men do it primarily, but it's the, the hand behind the back, and it's for posture, actually, and they walk like this. So these two men are walking down the street, and, and their wives are following behind them. It's just a slow kind of meander down South Ridge Court, and I, I walk out. All right. Hi. Hello. I'm like, Ni hao. Uh, are you Chinese? Yes, yes, yes. We're Chinese. And uh, my Chinese daughter, Anna, and my other Chinese daughter, Noelle, and my next daughter, Violet, were out playing basketball at this point, spying, seeing what was going to happen. And so um, this nice gentleman, we began this conversation. I know you're going to be real impressed with me in Chinese that's right and I speak like a four-year-old but I'm we're we're cranking through this conversation and and it turns out that his son and the other guys daughter got married they live in Auburn they live like 175 feet from us and both sets of in-laws were there with this couple celebrating Chinese New Year which is happening very soon it's a very traditional thing to do for families to be together for Chinese New Year and as we're talking about um, kind of small talk I, I said you know I used to teach English in China Now I'm a pastor. We have adopted two girls from China. We love China, and we love Chinese people, and this guy's demeanor begins to soften, and he begins to lean into this conversation, and and I said, well, where are you from? And one guy is from a city called Wuhan, and another guy is from the Yunnan province, and incidentally, we prayed for people tonight from the Yunnan province, and so we're talking, and then at the end, in a conversation that I have had literally hundreds of times in Chinese with people, I say, well, we're Christians, and the reason why we adopted was because of what Jesus has done for us and his love for us. And then the most remarkable thing happened after that. He, he, he sticks his hands out like this and grabs both of my hands and brings me in for a full-on embrace hug. And I said... Niemensher with a You are my friends. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't a full on gospel presentation. But now I know that a Chinese family in my neighborhood knows that we are Christians. And now I know that they know that in the name of Jesus, we adopted children that didn't have a mother and father in the name of Jesus. And now I know that he knows there's a Chinese friendly pastor in his son or daughter's neighborhood. And that was the good work that God had for me to step into. And I could have missed it. I could have missed it. And I don't say that to amplify my good deeds before you. I say that you have invested many years into your life here, a lot of you. And just like I've invested many years in China and understanding Asian culture, you've invested a lot of your life into somewhere and someone. And there are good works for you to step into, just like there are good works for me to step into. And my encouragement to us tonight is this go check the mail. Step into the conversations and the moments that you have been given by God. Because here's also what happens not only are they encouraged, not only did we make this new connection, but my heart was so full yesterday because I knew that was a perfect moment that God had preordained for me to step into. And it was my wife's counsel and encouragement that says, go go, go, and what if she hadn't? And what if I had not gone? I would have missed that moment, and I think we all miss incredible moments when we fail to step in and step up with courage to say what we need to say in the name of Jesus. Colossians 2 really in so many ways says the same thing. Colossians 2, if, you're, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now, but Paul begins to open up, and again, Paul is writing this letter based on the counsel and concern of another pastor who's been shepherding these people. In chapter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now that word struggling, in the Greek, it has to do with agonizing or agony. I'm agonizing over you. And other translations say, I am contending for you. I'm struggling for you, I'm fighting with you, or in our modern vernacular, some of us might say, I'm believing for you, I'm believing God for you, but the bottom line is Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, their local pastor, they were struggling with the possible heresy that some of these people were going to run into, and he said, I want you to know how much I'm struggling in an agony for you, praying for you, and contending for you. For my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is. Christ. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 4, verse 12, same letter, just one page over, and you're going to see in verse 12 this Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. 412. He says, He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm and all the will of God mature and fully assured. Now. As we go into chapter 2, I want to put before you that there's two real clear pictures in this. There's a lot of clear pictures. I'm highlighting two. One, it's a model for relationships. That as believers, we contend for one another. It's a model not just for pastors and missionaries. It's a model for all believers to contend for one another. To struggle for one another. To agonize for one another. That's exactly what April did for me. She was contending for me. But look, here, so that I would stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. She was contending that I would step in to that moment because she knew what was on my heart to do. And it just took a little bit of courage and a little bit of her contending for those two things to come together. And I left that conversation not only with a big hug, but in my heart going, that's exactly what I needed to do at 942 on Saturday morning here in America. And I suggest to you that when you contend with your brothers and sisters in Christ and push them lovingly and humbly and consistently, step into the moment, step into the moment that we are modeling what we see in scripture right here. So the first main idea I want you to think tonight is, who is it that you are contending for? Who is it that you're contending with? Who is it that God has given you to spur on lovingly and humbly towards those good deeds that he's created all of us to do and it's not just that we'll go and do those things but we're doing those things we're contending so that we can stand firm in all the will of God and that we can be fully assured and mature God is at work in and through me and I've often said to many people that ministry is not just something you do for God ministry and we are all ministers ministry is God's gift to us to experience his presence and his power as we step into moments together the priesthood of all believers lives it out in this very idea that we would contend for one another and the result would be that we would be fully mature and assured that God is in fact at work in and through us. If you turn back over to Colossians 2, we continue on and, and he's talking about this idea of I'm praying, I'm contending for you that you would be encouraged in your heart and you would be united in love that you would know Jesus. But then in verse 6, the, the, the perspective changes. And this is what I've been wrestling with personally in my own life, reflecting on this. Verse 6. So then, just as, and if you have a pen, circle just as. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I'm going to say that one more time. Just as you received him as Lord, just as you received him as Lord, so also live in him. And depending on what culture you grew up in, there might have been a moment where you received him as Lord, and in fact, you experienced salvation, but then you may have walked away from this idea of a daily abiding relationship with him. And that's not what God's design for our relationship with him looks like. It it is that, yes, we receive salvation. Yes, we acknowledge what Jesus has done on the cross, then and today and tomorrow and next week and for all eternity. And we are to see and savor what God has done every day for the rest of our lives on earth and in heaven forever. Because what he has done is amazing. The gospel is truly amazing. Amazing. Now, I want to let you know ahead of time where this chapter ends and why this is so important that we understand living in him. One of the concerns later on in chapter 2 that Paul is writing about is the failure to restrain themselves from sensual indulgence. In other words, this culture around this little church was amplifying and giving in to this idea that if it feels good tastes good looks good probably you should do those things and there was a lack of restraint when it came to sensual indulgence and so the reason why on the front end Paul is saying just as you received him as Lord so also live in him rooted and built up in the faith is because there's only one thing that has staying power against sin and it's not your effort And it's not self-righteousness. It is not human regulations and made-up religious law. The only thing that restrains me long-term and restrains you long-term is the good news that Jesus has set you free from that, and he has set you free to love him and obey him out of that acceptance. And so any kind of law or suggestion or commandment, those things are powerless to motivate us long-term to do the right thing. It's only the gospel that motivates us to do what is right, to choose what is right, to walk in obedience, and it's only the gospel that brings us back home when we don't do what is right, when we don't walk in obedience. It's the gospel to keep us and it's the gospel to redeem us in our moments of failure, both and, both and, both and. So just as you received him as Lord, so also continue to live in him, rooted and built up in the faith, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness, And that last word, overflowing with thankfulness, I will tell you, as I proudly said to those um, gentlemen yesterday that I am a Christian, I'm, I meant it with every core of my being. I am overflowing with gratitude that Jesus would save me. And of course, I would want them to know that very same love. See, as we're strengthened in the faith, then overflowing with thankfulness comes out. Now, in verse 8, it, it begins to address the problem. And here it is. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Verse 9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, permanently and f- completely forever. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, or the flesh is the, is the, it's the Greek language on that, your, your sinful flesh, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the gospel. Ready? Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that it was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And I just, I just want to know, is there anyone else this week that has said something you thought you'd never say? Done something you never thought you'd do? thought something, you would be horrified if other people knew about it. Is there anyone else in the room that is familiar with their own sinfulness and their sin and is struggling to get over the mountain of forgiveness in their hearts? Let me just remind you of this. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross and he suffocated that you would have life forever. You are forgiven. You don't deserve it I don't deserve it but i'm forgiven and you are too by the blood of jesus alone you are a forgiven people tonight and you may have walked in guilty and feeling some weight but i'm telling you he took it away and he nailed it to the cross and when you in a few moments share in this communion moment and you taste and see that he is good would you just remember in your heart as you take of the bread and take of the cup you took it away and you nailed it to the cross And here's the great news about Christians. All of us deserve none of this. (laughs) All of us deserve none of this. And God is good to you and good to me. He has set me free. He has set you free. So we need to walk in that freedom. It says this in verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I want you to know a little bit about what Paul was talking about in this Colossian heresy because it helps to know why he had to write this in the first place. So in this Colossian culture, okay, there was a denial of the biblical doctrine of creation. In other words, that Greco-Roman culture that was surrounding this city in the Lycus River Valley that is now modern-day Turkey, okay, there was a denial of the biblical doctrine that God created all. And there was a promotion that somehow this just happened. Okay, so that's one thing. Number two, that that culture that was surrounding this little church was proposing a Gnostic mysticism. Okay, this hybrid Jewish Gnostic mysticism that was saying, well, there's this kind of knowledge, but then if you really are special, there's this kind of knowledge. And only a few people get this kind of knowledge. And when you get this kind of knowledge, man, you know all kind of special things that all these other common people don't know about and could never know about. That's dangerous. That's when you get into the God told me moments that are heretical and God said to me moments that are just a far cry from anything that represents the gospel. And that was going on in this culture. And this culture was celebrating the ideas. This is crazy, but it's not because it happened for centuries. Celebrating the idea that there was an indefinite number of intermediaries between God and man. So it wasn't just that the gospel saved you. It was the gospel saved you. But hey, by the way, you might want to pray to this person too just in case what Jesus did isn't good enough. So that was the culture that they were living in. So as a pastor to these people, Paul was burdened for them, and Paul was writing them saying, no, God is the creator of heaven and earth. He was saying all wisdom is in Jesus and accessible in Jesus. And number three, no intermediary is needed. Christ is the fullness of God. In him, the fullness was pleased to dwell. And he was taking very specific aims at what the culture was, Around him. Well, I want you just to just reflect on our own culture, and it might be slightly off from this particular culture, but you think about how does the gospel need to stand in contrast to the culture in which we live? Even with this very statement right here, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If you say that in certain places, you are met with immediate opposition, and I just want to give you courage. Go to the mailbox. Go to the mailbox, and in Jesus' name, proclaim the good things he has done for you. Don't add to the gospel, don't take away, but identify with the gospel. Go to the mailbox, step into those moments, because the more humble, authentic representations of what grace at work looks like results in the landscape changing. And I'll give you an example of that. In Acts um, chapter 11, I love this description this is at the church in Antioch. And this is 1122. Now news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23 of 11. He says, when Barnabas arrived at Antioch, I love these next words, and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. see, what was happening in this particular city is the church was growing, and Barnabas went to see them, but what he saw was so specific. He saw the evidence of the grace of God, and he was encouraged by that and said, stay true to the Lord. I'm just encouraging you, wherever it is that you go tonight and tomorrow, let it be that the evidence of the grace of God of God, seep through your life in every endeavor that you do. Make conversation with the people at Publix. Have them carry your groceries out so that you can strike up conversation with them. If you work in the university, take the next step in conversation with your co-workers. If you're in faculty, I know that's a, a tough line, but outside of the classroom, begin praying about conversations that you can have, right? Just begin to think, what can I do to give evidence of the grace of God in my life? Because truthfully, People are desperate to see the real Jesus. They're desperate to see the real Jesus. And the real Jesus, made known through the lives of broken, gentle, authentic people, speaks of the goodness of God. That's why the guy gave me a hug yesterday. When I pulled up on my phone in Chinese Down Syndrome, when I pulled it up, and I said, Tasha Mayo, Mama, Baba, Jacob. What I was saying is she had Down syndrome. No mother, no father. He took a step back. Oh. Mm. And there was the hug that came after that. See, the evidence of the grace of God is the power. (laughs) Not the guy going to the mailbox. It's the evidence of the grace of God. And people so want to see that. Verses 16 um, through 22 is just this long kind of explanation of the danger of false humility and the powerlessness of human regulations. And you can go back and read that again. I want to end our time tonight in verse 23. These regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility and harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Um, I don't know that everyone is struggling with this or that some people are struggling with this or not but this is where god's word meets us in real time and so i just want to remind anyone tonight if you are struggling with indulgence it's not going to be self-help that's going to get you out of it it's not going to be well i just won't this time it's going to be you squaring your eyes on the gospel and on the reality of your temptations and saying jesus if you do not help me through this i'm going to give in so with the power of your love and mercy, and the presence of your Holy Spirit, and the counsel of loving people, would you help me get out of this? And I know the immediate thought that a lot of you have is, but I'm guilty. I've done it so many times, so many times, so many times, so many times, and let me just remind you, he took it to the cross, and he nailed it there, and your sin has been left there, so don't pick it up again. The power that we have to say no to sin, whether it's indulgence or not, the power that we have to say no to sin, all results in when we say yes to Jesus. And I've said it to you in multiple sermons, I'll just say it again. If you can't do it in the name of Jesus, don't. If you can't see it in the name of Jesus, don't. If you can't go there in the name of Jesus, don't. If you can't say it in the name of Jesus, don't. And as we live in the name and presence of Jesus, we begin to say yes to what is right and we can more easily say no to what will lead us to sin and death. And that's the power of walking an obedient life of holiness. That's the power. It's Jesus. It's not you. Will you pray with me as we reflect on this? For more information or for ways you can partner with the mission of Grace Auburn, visit our website Grace